Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harmon and you know it's the offseason because I am again joined by a very special guest. Today, help me preview some aspects of the 2022 NFL Draft is Mr. Late Round Quarterback himself, J.J. Zacharyson of the newly minted LateRound.com. J.J., number one, welcome to the show. I appreciate you joining me and especially today, what is a very tough day for you East Coast dads. I'll tell you what, man, that time uh, for the national championship <laughs> game, I don't know how it's legal to put a nationally televised game of that importance, uh, that much importance at nine, what was a 920 start time or whatever, Eastern time. The only, as we say, uh, the only legitimate time zone, the Eastern time sure. zone. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's rough, you know, I, I, I tried to get a workout in this morning to wake myself up a little bit. It, it worked. It helped. I feel pretty good. All things considered, you know, once you get into football season, that's when things get really, really tough. When you get like, you know, those back to backs, you know, when they I remember last year, we had a couple games where they like both went into overtime and back to back days. And it was just, it's just death. It's a very, very difficult thing to sustain when you got a toddler running around at home. So, uh, yeah, East coast dads were in full swing last night. Yeah, for those that don't know, JJ has a whole bit that he's turned into like a charitable endeavor, which like, you know, bravo to you. That's pretty, pretty good stuff to take a bit, a a small Twitter bit and then turn it into something good. That's good stuff there. Uh, Most people just, uh, you know, monetize their Twitter bits. But, you know, that's that's (laughs) another discussion for another day. Uh, He's taken that. uh, the, The whole point of it here is like, obviously games going to overtime they go too late especially sunday night football monday night football thursday night football you know you go to bed later because the game your kids still wake up at the exact same time i i'm a little bit like i play both sides here i live on the west coast now i'm originally from the east coast so i i can like sympathize with this whole thing and i don't have kids though that that is the one part of it but it is downright like aw- like east coast is you can say all you want about the East coast being a great place to live. It's obviously much cheaper than uh, where I currently live. And you know, that's always on my mind. It's God awful for sports uh, watching. It's rough. It's it's definitely rough. I mean, like it was fine when I was in my twenties, like it was, it was a very easy thing to just be like, yeah. And look, by, by the way, like I always tweet about the East coast ad stuff. And I think people t- think that I'm like being like ultra, ultra serious. Like I can't handle only getting six hours of sleep in a night instead of seven or eight. Number one, though, I will say, I, I do think that sleep is very important. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I do think that people underrate that aspect of living. Uh, but, you know, I, it's not like, you know, this is more of a, as you said, a bit. It's just a fun thing. And then people will come at me and be like, well, I live in Australia. Like, imagine living in Australia. And I'm like, all right, man, I get it. This is just a joke. Just having some fun here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still like not great and not fun 
going to bed after midnight and then having your kid, you know, wake up in, in, in the sixes, uh, you know, yeah. in the morning and just not doing it on your own time. Well, there's some shocking uh, breaking news that uh, people on Twitter maybe take things a little too seriously sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there that. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, before we talk about the NFL draft, we are going to get through some of the quick news items that happened since we last recorded. Starting off with uh, the Patriots acquiring Devontae Parker and a 2022 fifth round pick from the Dolphins for a third round pick in next year's draft. Uh, JJ, what was your instant reaction when you saw this one happen? Uh, it was that it was the most New England Patriots thing of all time. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I, you know, it's fine. You know, they need, I, I think they need that like true X that that guy who can play the outside. I, I do, you know, Parker's fine. I, I, I worry a little bit. I think that his general worry as a player is just his like lack of separation and ability to, yeah. to do that, you know, down the field and such. But, um, you know, I, I think that he at least works within what they do. I, I think they still need to find someone who can truly, truly stretch the field in a really efficient way, as opposed to just getting these veterans who might be able to, but aren't necessarily super like a Nelson Aguilar or something like that. Like, I think they need that, that speed element, um, whether it's through the draft, whatever, still think they need that, but you know, he's fine. I think he fits what they need to some degree. Um, he's not someone that I'm like super, super excited for from a fantasy perspective, but you know, new England is a landing spot right now where it's at least a little bit intriguing from both a redraft and dynasty standpoint, because there's not a lot there. You got to hope that Mac Jones takes the next step this next year. Um, and so the landing spot's fine. I just, it's just funny because it's just a very new England Patriot thing to do with Bill Belichick. Yeah, like if they had given up a third round pick this year for Parker, I would have been like, oh, that's a that's a tough look because like yeah. Parker is he's got a decent sized contract. And I think he's like at the absolute best. He's an average starter. He had like one great year that's like, you know, getting the Ryan Fitzpatrick bump that year uh, in terms of what he finished statistically. Like, uh, yeah, again, you, you nailed it on the head. Not a great separator. Average starting receiver has mostly been a disappointment. Um, and I think it just gives New England options. Like, they probably had to come away in the first couple of rounds with a starting receiver. Now they don't have to because they have Parker. But I, it still wouldn't shock me at all if, like, the right guy falls to them in the right spot. They still take a receiver in, in at the end of the month here. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, so uh, not that big. I don't think it moves the needle basically almost at all in fantasy. Like he wasn't going to eat into Miami's workload at all target distribution wise. It was a lock that he was going to go. One trade that was more interesting, although a little bit more difficult to talk about from like a brass tax standpoint, the Saints acquired the number 16 pick uh, and the number 19 pick and a six round pick from the Eagles in exchange for the number 18 pick, a third round pick, a seventh round pick and a first round pick next year and a 2024 second round pick. That's a, there's a lot going on there, right? It's like a messy trade, but basically they've bought themselves. The Saints have a extra first round pick this year. Um, and obviously, like, again, you talk about like just the classic New England Patriots stuff. This is classic, like Howie Roseman. There was a there was no way they were making all three of those third round picks or first round picks this year. So um, now I guess we have to ask. I, I saw Daniel Jeremiah tweet this out, like literally right before we started recording that he asked a couple GMs about this trade. And, you know, a few GMs don't think it's moving up for a quarterback. They think like they the Saints view themselves as they're close and they can get two quality starters with these two first round picks. Um, I think if it it doesn't really make much sense if it's not for a quarterback, but then also with this quarterback class, it's a little bit weird to make that move this year, anyways. I agree. Uh, that's why it's a really confusing trade for for New Orleans. I mean, if the belief is that New Orleans is that close, um, you know, I. 
you know, you can kind of understand it in the NFC just in general, but at the same time, it's just like, like, I, I don't think they're necessarily there yet. And you're almost just like buying into purgatory, which is just a not good place to be. Whereas, you know, on the Philadelphia side, I thought it was brilliant because, you know, right now they're in a quarterback situation where you could, you could argue pretty strongly that Jalen hurts as a prospect, not even like how he's already performed in the NFL, but as a prospect is on par with a lot of the guys coming in this year. And so they already have that player. They already have the equivalent of what you could find in this year's class. And so, you know, you know that there's question marks with Jalen Hurts right now, and you know that there's a lot of question marks with the quarterback class coming in. So why not just go this year, 2022, with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, see what he's all about, see if he can improve as a passer, because he has improved basically since, I mean, the beginning of his college career. He's improved every year as a player. Um, and as a passer. And so, you know, you got to hope that maybe they add another body, a wide receiver, um, and, and he can he can take that step forward. And if he doesn't take a step forward, then they have all this ammo in 2023 in a better draft class with with more blue chip quarterbacks they can go after. Um, and and, and honest, honestly, they can get rid of Jalen Hurts as well. And if he does have a moderately decent season, because there's always going to be a need for that kind of quarterback, just a guy who could at least be somewhat of a bridge or maybe needs to change of, change of scenery. Or maybe there's a coach out there who really likes his particular skill set because it is unique. So I think from Philly's perspective, it made so much sense to do this from New Orleans perspective. If they don't go after a quarterback, they didn't have a quarterback in mind here. It, it, it does seem a little bit strange. It seems like a weird trade for them. Yeah, you have no idea who the hell is going to be there at those two picks. So you're kind of just like, you're just hoping to land two. And and the teens are kind of that area where the draft starts to get nebulous anyways. Like you're starting to sort of take, you know, lower probability bets anyways at those selections. So yeah, it would be extremely weird if it's not for a quarterback. Although if it is, it makes total sense for, I mean, and if you really like one of these guys, if you're New Orleans, you have two first round picks now to potentially jump up over your division rivals in Carolina and Atlanta, who are the most likely teams to take, and especially the stupid Panthers, man, are just like, if they don't if they don't they're screwed if they don't take one at six but they're kind of screwed if they have to take one yeah, at they're I, in an awful spot awful i can't spot. can't even talk about the panthers G- good god just no um but uh <laughs> with with the eagle side of it i think too even if they don't plan on taking a quarterback in next year's draft you've now made yourselves that much more um able to trade for somebody or, and your ecosystem is going to be that much more attractive because you don't burn a first round pick you can take more guys so uh that's the way to do it in the nfl you don't want to just be competent right Right now at quarterback you want to be um great and if you're not in a position where you are great you want to be attractive to a potential great quarterback that you can recruit next year you know something goes wrong with the kyler murray contract negotiations etc etc so i think that the eagles did do that here yeah you want to be attractive with flexibility right like like what the steelers are doing with mitch trubisky makes a ton of sense because i'm sure they're still open-minded if a quarterback were to slip to them in the first round whereas you know the difference between what they did this year and what carolina did last year where carolina actually gave up assets to get Sam Darnold had the fifth year option. Like they invested in Sam Darnold. There's no real investment in a guy like Mitch Trubisky. And so, you know, they, the Steelers have that flexibility and now we see where the Panthers are, where they just don't. It's <laughs> <laughs> so bad. The Panthers are the worst. Uh, all right. Last news item here. And we don't even have to really talk about this front office sports reports that uh, commander's owner, Daniel Snyder kept ticket revenue that is supposed to be shared with other NFL teams. Apparently he had two books. Um, Daniel Snyder, probably a scumbag. And also doing some weird financial stuff, JJ. Um, I think this actually could be like, this is the line, right? Like in terms of uh, the NFL ownership, like, yeah, you yeah, can do money. all that. Uh, yeah, right. You can do all that <laughs> sexual misconduct stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, whatever, whatever. But you're cooking the books. 
that that's like our shared revenue that's where they're going to draw the line yeah i mean hopefully this is it right like hopefully of course we don't like want this to be the reason because there are so many other reasons that are uh more reasonable than this uh to to really oust him but maybe this is the straw that breaks the camel's back and maybe maybe finally they get some change and, and they can be a competent franchise again yeah, I'm going to feel bad if this whole thing plus the Carson Wentz gamble that's definitely not going to work out like ends up sweeping out Ron Rivera, who I like as a coach. But yeah. it seems like he's probably going to get caught up in the storm. So probably. that's that. All right. Well, that is uh, a couple news items we had to hit. Let's move on to really why I wanted to talk to JJ today, because uh, if you folks out there do not know, uh, JJ is offering this year a first. Uh, is, is this a, this is the first year you've given out a prospect guide all on your yeah, own? Yeah, this is the first year. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, it's awesome. It's called the late round prospect guide. Uh, I've gotten a chance to take a look at it. It it rocks. It's good stuff. And JJ's whole uh, approach to scouting is all, all database. uh, And it, it, I think it offers a great perspective. I love to obviously double check a lot of my work against it, but JJ, tell us how you kind of got into scouting using data and why it matters, why it's important to do that. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted some sort of like foundation for rookie evaluation, just from like a fantasy perspective. Like I'm an analyst slash, I play a lot of dynasty leagues. Like I want something that I can latch onto uh, and some process that I can latch onto and, and evaluate rookies, um, you know, in a, in a consistent way and in a way that works. And that's, that's the thing with data that I think is so attractive. Number one, I don't approach this from data to say that people who approach it not with data are totally wrong. That's not at all how I view this stuff. Uh, in fact, I view it the opposite way. I, I think that, you know, I'm going about it from a data perspective because I know that I am good at that. Like I can do that. Whereas uh, film and, and, and walking through, like I'm watching all of these prospects still, um, but I know that there are people that have a lot more experience than I do doing that and are better than me at doing that. And, and you know, it's just tougher for me to compete slash uh, there's just no reason for me to whenever I know that I can add value uh, doing it through data. And so the, the thing that I like about prospecting through data is that I do think that a lot of analysts sort of are aimless with their approach to prospecting. And uh, I was whenever I started first building these models, like I didn't really think about like what I was trying to solve and like what I was trying to do. Uh, and, and I think it's important too to, to recognize that what I'm doing with prospecting is I'm trying to solve fantasy football. I'm trying to solve a fantasy football problem. Whereas a lot of people who are, you know, like, like a Jeremiah or, uh, or, or a Miller, whoever, uh, you know, Dane Brugler, they're all looking at how these guys just translate as NFL players, which is, you know, there's generally some overlap. Like, yes, Justin Jefferson is a very good wide receiver in the NFL. And he's also a very, very good fantasy <laughs> yeah. wide receiver. But there are going to be instances where like, I'm going to have a bias towards a certain type of player because they just generally have worked better from a trend standpoint in fantasy than they do in real life. You know, whether you're looking at like a five foot eight sort of gadget guy who can do a lot from a mismatch standpoint in the NFL. But, you know, those types of players don't necessarily translate as well to fantasy football. So what I like about scouting through data is that I can have this process that's sort of repeatable and I can test it, right? Like I'm testing against something. And in my models, I have a running back and wide receiver model. In my models, I'm, I'm testing against how well these guys do during the first three years of their career. Uh, and, you know, the reason for that, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, part of it is that generally after three years, we, we know how good a player is, generally speaking. Right. You know, there's, it's very rare for like a fifth-year breakout or whatever. Um, so, you know, makes sense from that standpoint. But also we want our, our, our assets in Dynasty to appreciate right away, right? Like we, we don't want to draft a guy who then breaks out in year three or year four 
Um, because, you know, chances are he lost a lot of value before doing that. You start to question him, you start to question if you should trade him away, all that kind of stuff. So I'm really looking at those first three years and I'm able to use this model to help predict how these guys are going to perform over those first three years. And then I can just test it every year and sort of look at how things are going and how things are changing, because obviously things change in the NFL, the way that, that teams view these players and the way that teams use these players. And, you know, a good example of this, and I know that I'm sort of ranting here, but you know, a, a really sure. good example, a really good example of this is sort of like, like, I don't know if smaller running backs are actually worse than bigger running backs. I don't know. I, I don't know if a guy who's 190 pounds is necessarily worse than a guy who's 210 pounds. But what I do know is that historically coaches have not given those 190 pound running backs that much volume and volume is what drives fantasy football. And so I'm more interested than in bigger bodied running backs as a result of that. Right. So there's just a trend of, of how these teams use these guys. But if there's a coach that comes up and he's like, you know what, I don't mind giving this 190 pound back 15 carries a game. And then that happens more and more Then the game is changing in the way that I view these players just start to change. So I, I do test this every single year just to make sure, you know, that, that I'm not missing those changes. And so I think that's, what's great about prospecting through data is that you can look back, have a process, have that process be repeated, but also continuously make it better. Yeah. Cause uh, you know, on the flip side, if you're scouting purely through just like watching players and taking notes and stuff like that, you always have to kind of like ask yourself, well, why, you know, what, what went wrong here? Like, and, and it might just be simply like, Hey, you missed something. Like you didn't see something about a player that a different team saw, or, you know, I think their point about the running backs and the size perspective is, is why this stuff is so valuable because football has changed. I mean, dude, a whole hell of a lot since like we started doing this, oh, yeah. even since like, 2017 or something like that you know you look at just the receiver position obviously is what i'm always going to go to here but like you know the way guys um uh, like cooper cup are used as big slot receivers like that wasn't happening in like 2010 or something like that you know guys are so much more there the possibilities are so much more open to players because coaches are more flexible which is why I like constantly tweaking these things year after year and being you know not just necessarily pass or failing guys uh based on your own personal biases, it can be extremely valuable. Yeah. And, and look, I, I, again, there's nothing that I, that I dislike or will talk down about when it comes to pro, like prospecting guys via film. I mean, like it's a, that would be a very stupid thing for me to do because people are very, very good at it, but I do think that you're only human. Right. And like, that's why I think like what you've done with reception perception, you're charting things to get that data and you're charting things because it's a lot easier to then go back and consume all that as opposed to it just being in notes or in your brain, just naturally. It's just easier yeah. for that to happen, to have those numbers and to look at it from that perspective. So I think that's another reason why he said you know, it, not me. We're only, we're, <laughs> we're only, we're only human at the end of the day. We can only, we can only consume so much of this information and really like be able to, um, you know, have like this very, very consistent process before we just get drained. And I think that that is very easily, it can very easily happen whenever you're watching these guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I know you're not here to be like, this is my way of doing it. It is the only way of doing yeah. it. You know, people should obviously go out and, and buy your, your guide and obviously consume all your work. Don't just stop there. Right. Like consume all of this stuff. So did you get the full picture? It's like, I still think the best uh, analogy I ever heard about, uh, you know, analyzing the NFL in our particular realm, like in, in fantasy Twitter and fantasy football, the industry as a whole uh, was Sigmund Bloom said, we're like one big academic department, you know, like there's one side doing it this way. There's another side doing yeah. it this way. There's people that meet in the middle and people should you should go and get the full perspective there that's why i love draft season so much is because we are uh, able to really put our brains at work with all this stuff so on that note 
you know, what's like something, I guess, maybe a couple things you can take this any different direction you want to that you've sort of learned over the years while developing this model. Yeah, you know, I, I think the, the mantra I always sort of like approach this with with people who might be skeptical about prospecting through data, because I'm looking at a lot of production metrics, for instance. But the, the one mantra that I sort of carried is that productive college players are not always productive in the NFL, but productive NFL players were almost always productive in college. So if you think of it from that perspective, you know, there's a lot of people that will come at it and say like, oh, well, this guy was really, really productive at you know, uh, Bowling Green or some random college. Uh, it's like, why isn't he good in the NFL? Well, you know, I'm not assuming that all these guys, you know, I'm looking at all these different inputs and just because one guy was productive doing one thing, uh, you know, at, at this particular school doesn't mean that, that he's automatically going to be good in the NFL. I'm looking at other aspects too. And I think those other aspects that I'm referring to uh, really is about me being more and more open-minded about different things as I've gone on through this process. I think I built my first model in like 2017 or something like that. Had some hits, you know, like Aaron Jones was coming out around then, Kenny Galladay. Like I was into those guys when they weren't really on people's radars for the most part. Um, and, you know, I was able to hit on those guys. But I, 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 again, I was, I was fairly aimless with, with what I was trying to solve. Uh, and then at the same time, you know, I'm just, I'm not necessarily looking at things. I'm looking at things in way too binary of a way. Um, you know, this guy's good. This guy's not good. This guy's good. This guy's not good. Um, but what I've realized is that, uh, you know, it's, it's not just like a realization that hit me like this year, but um, you know, when you look at things like draft capital, I think there's almost like this sense from people that you're weak if you utilize draft capital in a model. Um, and, 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 you know, like, like you gotta be like really good at, at, at projecting and prospecting pre-draft in order to, to be like a good draft analyst. But to me, again, what am I trying to solve? I'm trying to solve what goes on in fantasy football. I'm not trying to solve where these guys are actually going to go in the draft, right? Like that's not, right. that's not my, my thing. And so if I'm trying to solve who's going to be good in fantasy football, and I know there's this thing, draft capital, that at least can bring some, uh, some ability, you know, greater ability to predict these things, then I'm going to utilize that thing. Why would I not right. utilize that thing within draft capital itself? So I'm referring to where guys get drafted. So, you know, Clyde Edwards, Lair when he comes out, he gets drafted 32nd overall. So he gets that draft capital, or, you know, we're, we're thinking that Garrett Wilson will be a top 15 pick. So he would, let's say that he gets drafted 15th overall. That's his draft capital. Draft capital itself inherently is evaluation. Draft capital yeah. is telling you that a team of that is putting millions of dollars into this operation said we really really want this guy and and yeah you're gonna find instances where draft cap you know where a team probably overspent on a guy like an andy isabella for instance and then you know the model gets all out of whack and i'm like oh man andy isabella was super super productive and he also had really good draft capital maybe andy isabella is gonna be good uh and then that just doesn't pan out that doesn't work out but generally speaking we know that teams are not like that that horrendous at picking these players and i think just like you know, over the years, having that open mind and realizing that there's a lot of people, especially within the fantasy industry, that will not have much nuance with their approach. And, and it's it's however they feel about these guys, even after they see that draft capital input, and they still don't really change their 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 mind about a guy that that's when I realize that there's an edge to be had, you know, I, I, I can at least tell you that like my model, I've tested my model against both draft capital itself in terms of how well these guys do over their first three years. Um, and against draft capital itself, the model is far more predictive. And then against rookie draft ADP, the, the model is far more predict, not far more, but it's, it's more predictive than what you would get from rookie draft ADP. So there is an edge to be had here. And I think so much of it 
has to do with the fact that I'm very open-minded and my model's pretty open-minded about those types of inputs as opposed to just having take lock from pre to post draft. Yeah. And I think draft capital on the positive side, right? Like you can sometimes like teams just make a bad evaluation. They make a reach and like, uh, I think that too, like if there's a big swing in your pre and post draft, like model and the results and everything it's like well maybe maybe this team just made a bad pick like they, yes. they picked an unproductive guy way too high or you know sometimes it is a very specific scheme fit that that we might not have been able to see on the outside but i think draft capital on the negative side really is where you have to as an analyst check yourself right because like you can love some dude you know on on film like you can love the way they look you could even love like the way they project out in a database model but like if you if you see this guy go in the freaking sixth round, like we know, we just know inherently that the odds are going to get so much longer because teams don't give, like they'll give that first round pick chance and chance and chance and chance. And then some other team will give them a chance after that. But if a guy gets taken in the sixth round, like the entire NFL has kind of told you what, like that they disagree with your evaluation and you as a, as a person, a flawed human should be humble enough to realize like, Hey, this might be a me thing. And that's what the model is so great for. Like, I always tell people, I use my model more as like a baseline for things. And then I sort of shift things based subjectively of what I'm looking at. And the model's not going to capture everything, et cetera, et cetera. But like a good example of that's like someone like Tyler Johnson. I love Tyler Johnson coming out. I thought Tyler Johnson was a really good wide receiver, not only via film, but also my model loved him. And I'm thinking to myself, if this guy is a day two pick, then then I'm going to love this guy. And, and a lot of people in the fantasy industry felt the exact same way. But then Tyler Johnson goes in round five or whatever round. I think it was round five, maybe round six. And it's like, okay, let's just be realistic. You can still have an eye on him and say, you know, I, I liked this guy. And if he gets an opportunity, maybe something happens. Uh, but oh, don't, Tyler like, Johnson, like, you know, the cheap DFS dart throw every, you know, every, yeah. Once like once or twice a month, this guy's like everybody's favorite cheap dart. <laughs> yeah. throw. He doesn't do a damn thing. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Right. And like, eventually you just gotta like, you gotta realize that like, okay, maybe, maybe teams pass on him five times because there really isn't that much there that you were seeing. Tylen Wallace is another guy last year. A lot of yeah. people were on Wallace and he goes really, really late. Also didn't go to a great landing spot. And you know, it's just like this, this combination of like, like, yes, did his ADP rookie ADP drop pre to post draft? Yes. Did it drop enough enough? Probably not. You know, I, yeah. I, I think that's really what I'm, I'm, I'm getting at here is that like, you know, you should recognize that these teams aren't like that idiotic. They do a lot of dumb things. Don't get me wrong. Like objectively, objectively stupid things, but you just can't have take lock with this stuff, even through data, man. Like last year, people were fading Jalen Waddle because he had an incomplete production profile. And it was like, it was like, but there are like so many reasons for this. Like, let's just be nuanced and let's think about this in a logical way. You know, you'll get things wrong, uh, of course, too, by by doing that. But, you know, hopefully if you're just logical with it all, and I think the the baseline of the model allows me to be logical. Yeah, I think that is key. Like having some breathing room for nuance and uh, just to kind of put a bow on this whole discussion. And you're, it's so right that like the the ADP doesn't move as much as it should because people, I think we've gotten better about this, but the example I always come back to, um, I think it was a 2018 draft with like the green Bay Packers. Like, you know, everybody really liked, uh, and I'm including my, I'm including myself in this when I say everybody. So really I should just say me and people who thought like me <laughs> really liked equanimous St. Brown guy goes sure. in the sixth round of the Packers. And you're like, you know what? I know they drafted two receivers ahead of him, but I just really like the guy. And I know he's the sixth round pick, but this is like, this team needs wide receivers. You know, he actually stuck around for the entire duration of his rookie contract 
still never really did anything yeah. worthwhile. And then he, it was one of the guys, MVS, ends up being the best of the bunch, the guy they took first, by the way. It was round four, so it's like, who cares? But was it J- Jamon Moore? He was the worst Oh, of yeah. The three. Oh, my gosh. So, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. Kind of, but, again, I think people still were like, all right, he was the third receiver taken, but I'll still take him ahead of all these other guys. So it, 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 you, have to be, you have to be humble. You have to have ways to check yourself. Uh, before we kind of move into some actual specific guys this year, I, I know you've touched on a few guys here and there, but do take some time here because people want to know if they're not familiar with your prospect guide. People want to know, like, see the skins on your wall, right? So, like, brag a little bit about some hits you've had over the years, and maybe if you'd like to quickly glance over some guys that, you know, maybe were misses or whatever. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, hits in recent history, I think one of my biggest ones within the model was James Robinson. It was really high on him. Uh, you know, after the combine and, uh, you know, basically what I do is that I, I throw guys that get invited to the combine into the model first, just to have like a controlled data set. And then from there, I'll add guys who get drafted. So James Robinson didn't get drafted, but he was at the combine. So he's in the model. Whereas a guy like Philip Lindsay or Austin Eckler, they weren't in the model ever because they, they did not go to the combine and they were not drafted either. Um, so a guy like James Robinson, he was someone that my model really, really liked. I have this metric called draft capital Delta. Uh, that I created this year, which basically looks at where a guy's prospect score is from a percentile standpoint, looks at what his draft capital percentile score is, and it just subtracts the two. So it allows you to see if a guy was over or underdrafted. And the most underrated, underdrafted running back in the model since 2011 is Aaron Jones. So that's a that's a big a big W as well. Um, but I will talk. You know, there there are instances where like. You know, I don't think the model's ever been like egregiously, egregiously wrong. Uh, it's it's fairly, like I said, it's like a really, really good baseline because it doesn't allow me to get too, too high. doesn't allow me to get too, too low. Um, but there are times where then I subjectively like override the model because I, I see things <laughs> that the model might not see. And last year I did that with Terrace Marshall and it's looking like a, a big fat L for, for old JJ. Well, that is the good point that whenever you have like a model or, or a grading system, like a rubric, even if you are like charting film or whatever, it really does kind of keep you in your lane. And I think yeah. that's the big selling point yeah. for stuff like this. Yeah. Um, so with that said, let's move into wide receivers. Um, I am like self-admitted that, you know, basically I think like wide receiver stats are all like fake news. And, uh, you know, it really says like no truth to what a player is. Um, but that's my own personal problem. So we're going to ignore that for a second. And I think, it, I think I think production matters a whole lot more when we're trying to project from the NFL to the college level or excuse me, vice versa, college level to the NFL. And you've laid out all the reasons why that really matters. So I do think this will uh, is just always interesting, again, to, to check this stuff and use multiple different schools of thoughts when it comes to wide receivers because wide receivers so hard to project because there's so many different ways like you can be wr have next to your name but can play completely differently from the other guys at the position um you know p- multiple production profiles within one team's offense can be tricky too so let's dive right into this it's starting with kind of the consensus top five guys which i think so so far everybody seems to have burks wilson chris olave uh jameson williams and drake london kind of like again consensus top five how much of a gap do you see between like these guys or are they all kind of pretty close together i think they're all pretty close together i, I won't lie though when i first started prospecting like this class in January and looking at what the numbers were saying and stuff and watching them a little bit. I, I thought there was going to be a pretty clear gap with the top three. And then those being Burks, Wilson, Alave, or sorry, Burks, Wilson, and, and London. And then there being a drop to Alave and Wilson uh, and Williams. Wow. I can't talk right now. Um, <laughs> but, but so I, I thought there was going to be like a very clear top three and then like a very clear next two. Right. But I, I think those lines have been blurred a lot through this process. You know, we've seen, 
Traylon Burks not necessarily come through with the athleticism that we thought. And I, I will say too, I got to preface, I, I don't think athleticism metrics matter that much at wide receiver at all. I, I know that through testing, right? You want these guys to hit some sort of threshold. And if, look, if they're like outliers to some degree, and if it, if what they do athletically testing matches really well with what you've seen through film, that's a great sign, right? That just means that they're probably freaks like DK Metcalf or something. That just means right. that they're probably, and if that translates, then great. Cause it does translate for some people. Um, but you know, when, when there's a disconnect there, uh, it, it can be a little bit more difficult. So like, and, and it can change their draft capital, which is one of the reasons why I do sort of care about athleticism me- measurables is because, you know, if Traylon Burks goes out, which he didn't, doesn't have necessarily the best combine in the world then that might change the way, you know, he might've gone from a top 10 pick to in the twenties. We don't, we don't know for sure, but that's the possibility now. So you at least have that in the back of your mind as you're looking at this stuff. But to me, yeah, I do think those are the top five. Um, And and I do think a guy like Chris Lave, who in my model and and analytically, a lot of people do this, but you look and and see if a guy's an early declare or not, right. Guy who comes out early Um, and Chris Lave is not that. Uh, and so a lot of people will ding him for that. My model does ding him to some degree for not being, uh, you know, not leaving as a junior. And the logic behind that obviously is if you're able to leave as a junior, it means you're probably pretty good at playing wide receiver. Um, right. and, you know, you're, you're good at the game. And so you're able to just go into the NFL draft. Whereas if you need to go back for that extra year, it's probably because you weren't going to be a first round pick to begin with. But there are some instances like a Chris Olave where his numbers were so strong, where we could probably feel pretty good that he would be, he would have been, you know, at least a fringe first round pick last year. Even if you allow him to be uh, this non-early declare, which he is in my model, he's still like a 94th, 95th percentile yeah. wide receiver. Like, like let's not like take this one data point and overstate what it means. Let's just recognize that it's a data point that does get some signals. So like, you know, I've looked more into like a guy like Alave and been like, wow, this guy's actually pretty freaking good. I'm not, I'm not that upset that he's not an early declare. And then, you know, Jameson Williams, an interesting profile, but you know, a good profile overall. So I do think those are the top five. And again, those lines are, have been blurred a little bit, I think through this process for me. Uh, I love Chris Olave. I think he's going to be too. either like two or three for me. Uh, maybe even, I don't know, maybe even one. I just, I think he's really, really good. But anyways, like, yeah, I think he's a really good player. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's sort of like a balance between some of the, like maybe things you don't like as much in his profile, stuff like that. And obviously like, it's, let me ask you this, like landing spots at wide receiver, you know, it, how much is that going to shift things for you post draft? Because I think we can end up getting ourselves in trouble sort of with this. And I know like Rashad Bateman was a big talking point last year. And we don't really know how that, how that story is going to end. Cause you know, it, obviously it's just been one year in the league, um, but he's in a crowded offense, a, a typically run first offense with a mobile quarterback. We know there's, there's some uh, obviously hindrances of production. And then, but you think of a guy like AJ Brown sort of bucked that trend a few years ago, but it's so again, like just kind of landing spots, like positive and negative. How much is that going to shift things for guys? Like with, even within this top five, just to put it to sort of a, a real example, like, you know, one of these guys goes to a worse landing spot than the other. How much is that really going to move things for you? You know, if they're in the same tier, I don't mind shifting them within the tier. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's that big. Like if, if one of these guys ends up going to Kansas city and they're in the same tier to begin with, and I have no problem yeah. jumping them and putting them on top of that tier. But you know, the, the AJ Brown and Rashad Bateman thing has been so, so interesting to me uh, since that all started. Cause last year, you know, I was one of the people who had Rashad Bateman. I loved Rashad Bateman pre-draft. 
And then, you know, Bateman drops to to Baltimore. I keep him in the same tier that he was in, but I moved him actually below like Elijah Moore in that tier because I I really liked Elijah Moore. And and the logic was, okay, look, if you want to go with Bateman, that I, you know, I'm, I'm in a ton of dynasty league. So I still have Bateman. I was still drafting him, but uh, you know, if you want to draft Bateman, feel free. They're in the same tier for a reason. But the reason that I moved him down is because you know that Lamar Jackson is going to be the quarterback for that team more, you know, 98% chance more than likely over the next five to seven years, right? And so if that's the case, they're going to be a bottom half team at least in pass attempts year over. I mean, last year, everything aligned perfectly for Baltimore to be a more pass heavy team. They had issues in their secondary. They had no running back. I mean, there were, there were, there were reasons for them to be more pass heavy and they were still like a bottom six or seven team in pass rate last year. And so, you know, the, the, the logic with moving Bateman down is that if he's locked into Lamar Jackson, that team's probably always going to be a pretty uh, run heavy team. And that's just going to naturally hinder, you know, I never worried about his floor. It was more of a ceiling play than anything else. Then with AJ Brown, everyone's like, Oh, well, AJ Brown, you know, people were fading him because Marcus Mariota and they were this run heavy team and all this kind of stuff, which I get. And it was a mistake that I sort of made back then. You know, I was probably like around market value, even though AJ Brown was sweet as a prospect, but you know, looking back though, like if we were to assume that Rashad Bateman is as good as AJ Brown, then, then Rashad Bateman would have been like the wide receiver two in last year's class. (laughs) Right. Like, like automatically. So like, we have a lot of like hindsight bias with that kind of stuff, which is why I think it's okay to move things around a little bit. Like, I think it's okay to say this isn't the best landing spot in the world versus, you know, like if Chris Olave, who technically is in a tier two versus the other three, but is close enough in my model and in my mind to those other three guys, if Chris Olave goes to Kansas city, I mean, the mat, like imagine that match, like imagine him being able to stretch the field with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you know, you, you have to be realistic and say like, okay, this is a phenomenal landing spot. I'm okay with drafting him ahead of a lot of those other guys. Cause there's still question marks with those other guys. On the flip side, you know, in a hypothetical world, like, um, you know, Jameson Williams goes to some terrible landing spot. Um, I don't know that new England would be that terrible landing spot, but let's just, let's throw, it's not, it probably wouldn't sure. be ideal for like great. instant yeah. product. It's not great. Let's say Jameson Williams goes to that team. And then like, you know, the chiefs, take Jahan Dotson in round one which has been mocked in some spots like that he's a late first round pick but that seems like a tear gap to me you probably wouldn't then flip those guys in your post-draft rankings right and it does depend though too like right now I think Jahan Dotson's like an 88th percentile guy in my model and Jamison Williams is like a 92nd percentile guy but that's based off of projected draft capital where Dotson's like 37th overall and Jamison Williams is like in the 20s and so realistically in those scenarios it, it, it's very possible that Dotson would look better in my model post draft or look at least comparable to Jamison Williams. And if that's the case, then I have no problem like shifting things that way, if that makes sense. So, you know, it, it does matter. Like what I, I think like a more dramatic example is like, let's say J- Jamison Williams goes to like a new England or whatever. And then there's like a guy who slips into like the mid to late second round versus yeah. a first round wide receiver. And it's that like, sense. you know, and then it's like, no, let's just still go with the first round wide receiver because the draft capital is there. He looks way better in the model, all that kind of stuff. So like, you know, you, you just have to sort of play it by ear and and uh, just be logical about it. Just be objective about it. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, um, and this is an actual real life example from a league that we're in together in rookie draft last year. I'm sitting in the middle of the second round and Kadarius Tony is still on the board. And I'm like, 
I really like Amon Ross St. Brown better as a player, but he was a fourth yeah. round pick, second round, and you know, Kadarius Tony's a first round pick. I guess I'll just take Kadarius Tony, even though I, I don't like his profile, I don't like the player, I don't like the landing spot, I don't like a damn thing about what's going on here, but I'll go ahead and do it anyways. And then I'm like, you know what? That really probably would have helped me if I took yeah. St. Brown. But who knows who knows how that's gonna shake but, out. But but so, then yeah. but then you take a step back and you're like, like I, again, like I can live with those kinds of of yeah. quote unquote mistakes just because and, and I don't even really think that's a dramatic who knows, one. Yeah. Yeah. No. But like, but like, you know, you can live with that because I think it's super logical. And you know that day three wide receivers do not do what Amon Ross, even though Amon Ra was probably more of a day two guy or should have been a day yeah. two guy. Um, you know, 90% I, I, you, of the time you're making the right, not probably yeah, like right. 96, 97% of the time you're making the right call to take the first round wide receiver who slips to the second round of a rookie draft rather than the fourth round uh, pick who's now in this consideration because he went to a good landing spot. Right. Um, I maybe I just made the three percent move, and that's just what Matt Harmon has to live with, and that's, that's fine. Right. You know, yeah, that's, that's, right. that's my that's my, that's my uh, punishment to bear there. So we've talked a lot about the, some of the top guys. I do want to talk about Traylon Burks specifically because I think, and I'm I'm like you're going to help me here because he's the prospect I think I have kind of the most trouble with because he's just used in such a strange way as a collegiate player. Yeah. Um. I, I kind of want he's I'm not going to make the comparison to Kadarius Tony because. I think Kadarius Tony was such like we're starting from square one in terms of like actually playing wide receiver. Burks isn't quite that dramatic, but I think there are similar like I will feel very differently about Burks based on where he goes, because, you know, that was part of the biggest problem with Tony was not only was he a guy that I thought needed a lot of work. Um, really played in a role in college that I wasn't sure he could do in the NFL. Like, I, basically, I just didn't think the guy could play wide receiver. Uh, and then he goes to the damn Giants with Jason Garrett. It's like, well, that's not the environment I wanted to <laughs> yeah. see him, you know, like grow up in. The worst Burks, spot, I, yeah. Right, like the worst spot ever. Burks, I could end up feeling in a similar way depending on where he goes. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, I don't feel too hot or too cold about him as a prospect. I think he profiles very similar to me as like a Juju Smith-Schuster type. Um, and people don't like that comparison because, uh, which I found out when I tweeted about it. Cause it's like, dude, this guy's been compared to like AJ Brown. Like, and you're saying Juju, that's not whatever. But anyway, so talk to me a little bit about Traylon Burks and what makes him uh, an appealing prospect. I like that Juju comp. You know, it's not necessarily an analytical comp from the standpoint of like production, but it's a really, really good stylistic comp, I think, because uh, I don't think people realize how much Traylon Burks played in the slot either. Like yeah. he's, he, he's, he's not like, he, he hasn't been this like traditional X and, and, yeah. and like AJ Brown coming out, you could, you could easily see something like that happening where he could play the perimeter really well. You're not seeing that necessarily, which there's a lot yeah, more question agreed. marks. I think with Traylon Burks, like as a, uh, the, the type of wide receiver that he could become or, or is uh, coming out. So that's definitely the, the, the issue that I have with him as well is that, you know, you look at him analytically across the board. He looks great from a production standpoint. Um, you know, you wish the athleticism was, was a little bit better because then you would expect the draft capital to, to look a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, like I, I sort of had the same hesitation. I'll, I'll at least tell you like the way that I've uh, looked at the, the top three that I, that I liked, you know, in January and into February, as I first started prospecting was, you know, Burks, Wilson, London were the top three that people were talking about. And then I started looking into Traylon Burks and I'm like, well, people were liking him mostly because he's this like massive bodied wide receiver who can uh, bulldoze guys. Um, but is that really like what we need from like a fan, you know, just from a wide receiver, like, is that, are those the skills that we're like really striving for, you know, athleticism is very, very hit or miss uh, going from college to the NFL. Um, and then again, you know, noting that he played so much in the slot. So I was just like, 
I don't know if Burks is like this clear cut wide receiver one, like he was within the, the fantasy and dynasty community, you know, back in January. So I start looking then into Drake London and, and Drake London looks very, very good, but there's like all these people talking about his separation. And then I start digging into the data about him and a lot of his production, at least came on like screens and stuff. And then you're like, okay, can he do these other things? And so you start questioning like the, the uh, what, what Drake London can be. And then I just settled. I'm like, you know what? Garrett Wilson is just really solid. Like he's just, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, just, yeah. he's just really good all around. So I'm just going to put Garrett Wilson as my wide receiver one right now. And I'm just going to give myself some time to sort of figure out these other guys. And I think now I'm at the point where Burks would be my three because of the things we just talked about. I think there's just a, a there might be a more difficult transition from college to the pros than people are, are realizing and thinking about, right? And I mean, like he's been mocked, like people are talking about him going to like Dallas, for instance. And of course, any any wide receiver that goes to a place like Dallas, it's not a bad landing spot. But then you start to think about like, they want to use CD Lamb more in the slot, which would yeah. which would push Burks to the outside more. Can he do that? Is that a thing that that he's going to be able to immediately do? I want more flexibility with Traylon Burks entering the league, being able to be in like this like fresh environment with not many, not, not a ton of competition. So you can sort of learn a little bit more um, and, and feel better about that. So that's where I'm at with Burks as well. I mean, it's just, he's a, he's a very, very tough pr- uh, prospect for me. Um, and at this point, I just think Wilson and London are both sort of safer bets overall. Yeah. Um, I'll just say this about like the Drake London separation thing. Like if you're knocking Drake London for separation and you're like, well, but Traylon Burks, uh, I mean, I think you got to ask yourself some questions right. there. Right. If, if, or, what are you really watching? Uh, but that's a, uh, that's a topic for another time as well. Just a couple of things before we move on to running backs, quarterbacks and everything else. And, and, you know, not too much. I've spent a lot of time here uh, talking about wide receivers. What a shock. Um, give me the name. Give me some names, you know, one or two guys that are going to go maybe a little later after those top five guys that people should really pay attention to. Yeah, I'll give you uh, one that he could be a day two guy, Khalil Shakir. Um, he's a slot guy from Boise. He's uh, really athletic and he had, uh, I, I look at best season numbers within my models. So best season receptions per game is one of the metrics, best season yards per team pass attempt and best season touchdown share. And his best comp ended up being Cooper Cup. Um, mm, now I will say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. So he only had the best wide receiver season of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the difference is that Cooper cup was a lot more productive throughout the entirety of his college career. You know, the, it's a, it's a loose comp for sure, but I had seen even some film guys make a similar comp. So that's good to see too, that they're at least seeing that out of a guy like Shakir. And then I'll give you a really deep guy. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, to be the leader of this train uh, because no one is seemingly talking about him that much, but Kyle Phillips out of UCLA. He's a bigger slot. He's a, he's a decent sized slot guy. I shouldn't say bigger. He's like six one or something, but you know, not like Uber, Uber productive, but as you noted, Harmon at the start of this, we know that wide receivers play vastly different positions on the field, even though they're, they're, they're tagged as wide receivers. And Phillips is a pure slot guy. Like that, that is what he does. You know, I think a lot of people probably comp him to like a Hunter Renfro. Um, and when you find those like pure slot guys, they're not always the most productive in college. Hunter Renfro right. is not Hunter Renfro, a great example. Yeah was not a productive wide receiver in college at all. And I think a lot of it is just because, you know, what, what translates for them is more the footwork and, and the route running ability. And that doesn't always necessarily show up whenever you're playing with a college quarterback, right? When you're playing with an NFL caliber quarterback, they're able to recognize that and find those open spaces for you, but they might not be able to do that at the college level. So Phillips did have better production than Renfro did. He was like, I think his comp in my model was like, Michael Campanero, remember that guy from like, oh, uh, yeah. from, from Baltimore. Yeah. Um, I so I, I think that was his comp because he's a little bit more athletic and, and he had, he had like really good acceleration related 
measurables at the combine too, which was good to see for a slot guy. I'm just kind of intrigued by him. And I think that he might end up getting a better, uh, might, might end up getting better draft capital than like the fantasy community realizes. Cause the fantasy community is naturally just very, very production driven and numbers driven. Yeah. I feel like um, slot guys like Renfro and uh, you know, that sort of archetype are easy model busters. And it's, it, it's not yeah. even necessarily that we would have seen Renfro coming based on where he landed. It's not like he landed in new England or sure. something like that. Right. Where it's like, Oh, well slot receiver, in new England, you better bump them up the board. You know, it's not like that type <laughs> yeah. of thing. Um, but yeah, some of these guys are just good. Like Renfro was one of those players like, hey, he's just a good player. And uh, I, I always, it, frankly, it took damn Raiders too long to figure that out yeah. too. So that's Agreed. on them uh, more so than it's on us. Uh, all right, let's talk running backs here it does seem like there's a set in stone kind of big three of Brees hall kenneth walker and isaiah spiller so um i know that liz and eric are going to touch on those guys in the next episode so we'll leave them for a second um give us the name of because i think this is what people really want to know jj especially people that aren't super familiar with draft prospects in general like who are the guys that will go outside of those top three that let's say they land in like a really juicy landing spot you know and they're getting pumped up not just like dynasty boards but potentially redraft boards come like July and August, who are the players that we should look out for beyond those three guys? Yeah, you know, it's crazy. I feel like this class is very much a class where there's a lot of like depth and there's a lot of guys that could go maybe late day three or day two into day three. Uh, but there's just no telling which guy is going to be which. We have no idea really how these teams are thinking about these players right now. Um, and so I would agree that it, at the very least, Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker look like the top two. Maybe we get like a Zemir White in there around where Spiller goes. I mean, there's other guys that might go around Spiller, but um, it does seem like those are at least the, the names that are popping up as you know. So I'll look at more day three guys that I think could be really, really intriguing. One guy is Tyler Beatty. Um, he in my in my prospect model, I'll, I'll just I, I like to look at like the different production filters in my model just to see like, you know, what guys have produced similarly to this player that I'm analyzing. Sure. Uh, historically. And if you look at Tyler Beatty, again, I look at best season numbers, best season touchdown share above 45%, which is where he was best season reception share, which is a very, very underrated metric for running backs of 18% or better. And a best season total yards per team play rate over 2.1. If you look at those three production metrics, which are the three that I look at in my model, and you look at Tyler Beatty's baseline, you get four running backs that pop up two of them or Donnell Pumphrey and Jaquiz Rogers, which were like, okay, I remember, I don't know, Jaquiz Rogers was fine enough, but Donnell Pumphrey is like this super small guy that never did anything in the league. But both of those guys were not athletic. They had really, really bad speed scores. The speed scores under 90. The other two running backs that popped up, Aaron Jones and Christian McCaffrey. That, that's, mm. who we're, that's who we're looking at with, with Tyler Beatty. Now, I'm not saying that Tyler Beatty is the next Christian McCaffrey. That would be idiotic. What I'm saying is the metrics that Tyler Beatty has and the production that he has matches up well with successful running backs, which is something that you always want to see. So Tyler Beatty is someone who I am very intrigued by as a day three guy. Uh, Pierre Strong, he's getting more and more love throughout both the, the film and dynasty and numbers driven communities. Uh, but my top comp for Pierre Strong was Elijah Mitchell. Uh, he's basically like an Elijah Mitchell clone. I was hoping that, uh, you know, Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins didn't really do that much in free agency, and they just went after a guy like Strong, which would have been really fun. But hey, hey, now, now listen, JJ. Like, uh, if if Mike McDaniel follows the 49ers way, he can draft some guy <laughs> yes, like this sure. Pierre Strong, and he'll definitely look. You just brought yeah. up Elijah Mitchell. Like, were we not here like uh, less yeah. than a year, you know, like a year ago talking about friggin' Trey Sermon? And it's like, uh, no, True. actually, Elijah Mitchell's going to come and dunk on him, despite no beat reporter uh, even hinting at that all summer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They'll, they'll they'll spend ten million dollars on these random running 
Max, and then it'll be Pierre Strong stepping in and just being their guy. So yeah, Pierre Strong, really, really, (laughs) you know, kind of below average to average production, but a really good speed score for him. And then the last guy, I always look, one of the things that is sort of like a, I don't want to say cheat code because then people will think that it's like foolproof, but uh, you know, one, one of the things that I like to do is look at bigger bodied running backs. We know are capable of carrying a big workload, like a Ramondre Stevenson is a good example of this last year who also had really interesting receiving metrics because it shows that versatility for a bigger bodied guy, which is really hard to find. Uh, one guy in this year's class that has that, that could be a day three guys, Kevin Harris. He had a, a 12% best season reception share, 1.95 yards per team playing his best season. He is supposed to get drafted. He's over 220 pounds and he had a 40% best season touchdown share. Okay. So take those metrics filter out in my prospect model. You get Rashad Penny, Leonard Fournette, David Johnson, Jay Ajayi, Le'Veon Bell, Trent Richardson, and Robert Turbin. Like those are his, his production slash size comps that you could look at. You know, obviously the difference being that a lot of those guys had better draft capital. Sure. Um, but, you know, again, I, I do think that you could see, you know, I could see like a James Conner sort of outlook for, for Kevin Harris. Um, and, and I, you know, I don't think he's on a lot of people's radars right now. I mean, I think that's perfect. Cause obviously, yeah, those guys are, are higher drafted players, but this guy fits the archetype of the players who end up getting a big workload. And right. you know, we're, we're saying these guys like, right. Like they end up at the the bottom of the depth chart somewhere, but like, just like Ramondre Stevenson, you know, ends up working his way up through a decent preseason, decent camp. And like some, some things happen to the depth chart ahead of him. Like chaos rules, the running back position, right? Like that's how these guys end up having their moment in the sun as it is. And and just one thing before we move on here, like people, people always ask me why, why don't you like work with other sports? Why don't you really pay attention to other sports? But you want to know why JJ it's because like, I didn't, I haven't thought about Donnell Pumphrey in years, but <laughs> his name, when you said it came right to the forefront and was taking up some brain space somewhere in there, man. And like, yeah. that's why, because some <laughs> players like Donnell Pumphrey are still op- o- occupying space in my brain somewhere, right. which is just like that, that needs to get out. And no more sports need to take up there. That's a that's why that agreed. Is. And, uh, agreed. Yeah. Hopefully my bosses listen to this. All right, let's talk quarterbacks here. It's a weak class, right? Everybody knows that. Uh, because I'm a freaking professional, I listened to your podcast uh, with Jim Sonis before this one, so I could kind of prepare. Um, he said on there like he wouldn't even lock in a QB as the 1.01 in a dynasty rookie draft for superflex leagues. And I feel like your pre-draft rankings kind of seem to potentially agree with that. They do. I mean, look, uh, Brees Hall, I think, is a like uh, unbelievable prospect. The only reason why he's not being talked about, like at least within my model and such as like, you know, anyone who has a 95th percentile score better uh, at either wide receiver or running back has a very, very good hit rate. Like just just generally speaking, he's not quite there. He's like 93rd percentile. But that's with the assumption that he gets drafted like 40th overall. And we're seeing more and more mocks and stuff of him, like going in the first, if he goes in the first round, he's going to be, I mean, like in the model, he'll look like a stud, obviously he's the exact same player, but um, just from an outlook standpoint, because you know that a team is buying into that. Brees Hall is a, is an incredible running back. So I have no problem putting him one-on-one locking it in because again, you know, with, with quarterbacks and super flex, like, you know, as Malik Willis, does he have the potential to break fantasy similar to how we've seen, a Lamar Jackson break fantasy, et cetera. You know, I don't think he has the same passing ability as Lamar did coming out. Uh, and and I, I think, you know, the only reason why Lamar fell, I believe the, the only reason why he fell the way that he fell was partially because no one had the foresight to be able to, to know how to utilize him in the way that Baltimore is utilizing him. Whereas right. now there's that, that, that uh, blueprint to use that kind of quarterback in that way. 
And so teams are going to naturally be drafting a guy like Malik Willis higher than where they drafted Lamar Jackson. I don't want, you know, I don't think people should be confused though in thinking that, that he is that, that he's that good. Um, and Jim, you know, Jim does a lot of modeling with the quarterback position. That's why I brought him on my, my show. And he agrees. I mean, there's just a lot of red flags with, with Willis. Um, you know, age is a red flag. Obviously competition's a red flag. You know, the way that he, he performed on, on third and long uh, is definitely a red flag. I mean, there's just, there's just some issues there. And I think we're seeing that in the way that people talk about this quarterback class as well. So, you know, are, are the quarterbacks okay to throw darts at in your rookie draft, super, super flex, especially. Yeah. Cause if you can get like two or three years of, of, of a player starting, even if he's not the answer for that franchise, but he starts for two years, that's still very, very valuable in a super flex league, but I'm still leaning towards, you know, there's a really good wide receiver class, at least from a depth standpoint, you have Brees Hall. I just don't think that there's any reason maybe Willis aside because of his rushing to really go be, be go and be aggressive at the quarterback position. Yeah. Just so many like red flags, obviously. And, and we'll see how like teams will ultimately tell us uh, on, you know, first round night, like what, what they really feel about this class. And like, if a team like the saints is really going to make that aggressive move uh, to yeah. go and get, you know, to bring it all back around to the beginning, like um, make that aggressive move to like make one of these guys, their franchise figure point. Um, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if how it ends up going uh, tight ends. I don't know, dude, anything to note here. <laughs> so I don't have a model for tight ends yet. I, I want to build one eventually. It's just really hard. And like, I, people are always like, why don't you just build a tight end model? Why don't you just build a quarterback model? Well, I want to like figure out running backs and wide receivers. Really You'd like well it first. to be good too, you know? Yeah. Like I'm not just <laughs> yeah. going to like do it to do it, you know? Um, but one of the things that I found with like doing studies on finding breakout tight ends and stuff is that athleticism at tight end is far, far more important than any other position, even running back, definitely more than wide receiver. Uh, so I look at just those like freak athletes. And one of the guys that's really popping right now is Jelani Woods from Virginia. I, I got to, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pit grad and I got to witness him firsthand, just absolutely annihilate the Panthers. He's like <laughs> six, seven, two fifty. had the speed score in like the 98th percentile. Uh, so he's one that I'm at least watching. I think there's going to be, it's one of those situations where just, just check draft capital for these guys. And if you can match good draft capital, with athleticism, then that's probably a tight end that's worth worth watching from a fantasy perspective. Jelani Woods, the pride of the uh, University of Virginia. I'll get I'll get started saying it now. All right, well, JJ, that is going to do it for this episode. Uh, appreciate you hanging out with me. Tell the people all about your new website, the prospect guide, everything you've got going on. Yeah, so LateRound.com. Uh, it's late round fantasy football. Started it back in January. I'm selling a prospect guide right now where, you know, I don't just like, I, again, in the prospect guide, I don't just like want to give people the answers. I, I walk through my process and what's in the model and the metrics that go into the model and why they're in the model. Talk about some historical stuff in there as well. Um, and then also within that is the year two model that I created this off season uh, where I look at how guys performed as prospects and then how they performed in year one. So I'm looking at year two players. It's very, very creative. I know the, the name of this model, but uh, so I look at year two guys. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like if you're curious about like what you should do with Elijah Mitchell and dynasty, I have the year two model that will break him down and say, is this guy a buyer or sell right now? Just based on, uh, you know, his percentile score in that year two model. So I do that with all the relevant wide receivers and running backs. That's all in the late round prospect guide as well. And you can find it all on LateRound.com. Definitely check it out. That year two guide is going to be super helpful. It feels like last year's class has just like weirdly some of the most hotly debated players of all time. Yeah. Like I, I didn't ever anticipate like 
Amon Ross St. Brown. It was yeah. going to be like the hottest debate of, of fantasy Twitter, but here we are. So people make sure to go uh, check that out. And of course, in the meantime, uh, I guess you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. You can follow JJ at late round QB. And of course, while you're there, make sure you're following at Yahoo fantasy. As I mentioned earlier, Liz and Eric at home will be back with the rookie snapshots for running backs on Thursday's episode. But until then, I'm